Welcome to Addiction Nonfiction, hosted by family recovery advocate and writer Annie Highwater. This is a podcast of real conversations and true stories from people who have been affected by or active in addiction. Each episode will tell real, raw, sometimes unbelievable stories, opening up the lives of various guests. The goal is to take a deep look into topics related to addiction, alcoholism, family dysfunction, codependency, and other various types of madness, the real-life stuff we all experience. You can reach Annie by emailing annieunhooked at gmail.com. And now, enjoy the show. And we're back on Addiction Nonfiction, the podcast where we discuss real, raw stories from those of us who have been either active in addiction or what I call addiction adjacent. That is living life in relationship to someone who displays either alcoholic or addict behavior. I am your host, Annie Highwater, author of books Unbroken and Unhooked. And today's guest is here to describe her experience of being somewhat swallowed up into the life of a controlling, mentally troubled alcoholic for decades, with codependency running so deep that it enveloped her entire personality and turned her into almost a robot. Abigail, welcome to Addiction Nonfiction. Thank you. So let's just get started. Um, How it began. So how did you meet your husband and what was your life like at the time that you two crossed paths? Well, I signed up with my siblings in a martial arts school together when I was maybe three months away from 2019. And that's how I met this man. And he just took a, like, right away, like, took me under his wings and just build up my uh, confidence and stuff. How old was he? He was 35 and I was 18. So he, of course, liked you. Oh, yes. <laughs> A pretty young blonde. Yes. I can see that now. So were you drawn to that he had a passion for working out? Were you drawn to that he was an authority? What were you, What exactly drew you to him? What, he, what did you find interesting about him? He seemed like almost like a father figure to me because I didn't have a very good relationship with my father, so he just made me somebody very important and special. So he he kind of spoke to areas that you felt you needed valued. Yes. Yeah, he made yes. you feel valued and seen. Yes, exactly. So going into the relationship, you ended up married to him. Did you have kids from him? No. Sure. He has. He has. I have stepchildren. Okay. Almost my age. Right. Like my best friends. How did they receive you being so young coming into their lives? They were all very, very welcoming. They, they, they said they couldn't see me as a stepmother. They looked at me more like a sister, but I got along with all of them. So it was really nice with them. From what I know personally of your story, you were raised in church or a church girl at the time that you met him. So your life was pretty innocent and pretty sheltered. Sheltered. Yes. I, I really didn't know anything about the world at all. I, I knew nothing about relationships. I'd never had a relationship before him before him at all. Just had you been a partier, a drinker? No, I was a bookworm and I was a loner. I isolated a lot. I, I suffered a lot of like phobias and depression and fearful, like panic attacks. Yeah. So I stayed home all the time and away from the public. So he was a partier. Yes. So how did that there had to have been some red flags early on with the differences in age and certain behaviors. What red flags did you notice? Uh, well, 
when I walked into his home the first time, it just, it made me sick. He had pictures of half naked women, women in their bikinis all over the home. It was just a party atmosphere and I was not a partier and something in my soul would feel so sick, but he was, he made me feel so special. And like I was somebody that I, I felt those feelings. I actually felt like something told me, turn around and leave, run. These are not your people because they were exact opposite of me. Right. The morals. The fact that he had children in an atmosphere that was such a party scene and there was pornography hanging everywhere. Yes. It had to have been really bizarre. And but when you I think when you're young and you're coming out of your own family dysfunction and maybe meeting somebody that's, you know, not just valuing you but thrilling and it's all so new, I yes. think that we do ignore those red flags or think that we're being rude or maybe we're wrong. Yes, and I, I wanted people to like me, and this person was very, very popular, very well-known, in bad ways, too, as well as good ways, and they seemed, he seemed to take a notice of me, like I was made out to be so special, and it just really... Which was something you needed. Yes, I needed that. that so looking back, thinking about somebody being 36 and having that environment, do you now see them as healthy? <laughs> Absolutely, 100 million percent unhealthy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to see that walking in. Though I mean, you know things are wrong, but I don't think until you're, you know, either have kids of your own or you've got some years under your belt. I don't think that you see how sick somebody is in a situation like that. Right, it's such a different world, especially when they own a business and it looks like yes. their life is thriving and successful, and they have a lot of followers or people coming around and you know appeared success. Yes, and I saw that. I saw this man. This guy on TV when I was 11, 12 years old. So the man that you married. TV. Yes, the man I married. Yes. I saw him on TV. So I knew who I knew about him since I was about 11 years old. And yeah. I met him when I was 18. So what were the first couple of years like being married to him and leaving? What was it like leaving your home and family life and going into his? Well, the first year and a half, year and a half, I would say was very wonderful because his, his young son and I got along great. With him, we took bike rides. We had picnics. We went downtown and did bike. Just we just did a lot of normal things together until less than two years after we were married. His old his oldest son came from Boston to live with us, and just it was like a tornado hit us. Yeah, and life was never good ever again in that relationship. So, what did that open up? Conflict or drugs? Or it opened up a door to his son was a very troubled. He was addicted to drugs. He was an alcoholic. He was only 20 or 21 and he got involved with bad people, gang members, and brought that to our doorstep. So what was your husband's response to those people showing up? To fight them, oh. to, to go on the war path. I mean, he would confront 10 or 15 at the same time. But he wasn't and welcoming just, to these people. No, okay. no, not at all. So you no. didn't at least have to adapt to that no no I didn't at all not with the son's friends but you had to adapt to some of yeah some of his crazy friends right some were criminal one was a murderer that so that would come around and sit in your living room wave his gun and he I knew he had killed somebody and he'd wave his gun and just every now and then just really weird people come up that would make a beeline for me kind of and try to take advantage or just and get too would, close. Yeah, get too close, be a little inappropriate, and he just wouldn't listen to me. 
thought, well, if they're coming here, they're going to help him get more students or make more oh, popularity, yeah. make more money. There's so, a benefit. Yes. What was your internal dialogue with yourself like as far as accepting what was making you crazy? I just, I just would pray to get through one thing after another just to endure it yes just Just thinking it's hard times I think early on we don't realize these are patterns and cycles that are going to come again and again and again and just the situations might change a little bit but it's a it's a lifestyle so I don't think maybe you were aware that you were in a lifestyle you just thought it was that problem for that time yes exactly what I thought right so then when a new problem would start would you think here we go again uh, after some, after about a decade together, I did, I just thought, oh boy, you know, another problem to get through. And then I would go into, I would pray about it or I would just endure. I'd find ways to cope. I would just do things like, uh, I'd have a good book, a nice book and some iced tea. And when he was teaching classes or doing something else, I would be alone and I could recover. And I, I would just... I was so full of despair at different situations, but then I would just overcome it somehow, push the despair aside and move on and find some way to adapt to it. So what made you think life was supposed to be lived like that? Um, I don't, I don't know. It just seemed kind of normal. The household I grew up in was, there were, was a lot of arguing and chaos. Crisis. Crisis and poverty and things like that, you know, so. Yeah. But never, never really violence like I experienced. Or conflict. Yeah. Like I so give me an example of a couple of, of feuds that he brought into your home. Well, the first <laughs> feud was with gang members. Because of that son, right? Yes, because of that son. They tried to kill him. They broke his arm. So then... My they husband, broke the son's arm. Yeah, they broke, I'm sorry, they broke the son's arm and tried to kill him, and we came out the door one day, and it was the first time I realized gunshots sound like firecrackers, and oh. what you hear on TV, because he was running, his son was running for his life, and there was a big brown car chasing him, and they were firing a gun at him, and I watched it, and his arm was already broken, and then my husband went on the war path, and that started as on and off for six, six and a half years, a war with different gangs Wow, people. Yes, it was not fun. How did you survive that? Like, how did you stay safe? I prayed and I stayed inside all the time. How did he stay safe? I don't know. I think somebody upstairs must have been watching out for him, maybe through my prayers. I don't know, but he should not be alive. I mean, yeah, there were so many uh, situations where he could have been killed or and he was running a business in the meantime. So were yes. his students affected or witnessing? Yes. So it, it really caused a big problem in our business. We we went from having eight, always like 70, 80 to 100 students down to being lucky if we had more than 30 or 40. Yeah. And that it never really recovered. They just didn't want the drama. Right. And it was on TV too. They would The news media would come out and film about the gangs fighting with us. And then, you know. So local celeb. Yes. Kind of, yeah. And then the police. That's another So, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about that. that so was, he went he went from arguing with local gangs that were violent and it was making the news. Yes. And you were caught in the middle of all this. He went from that to it became a war against the local police who he needed to be protected yes. by. Also right. because of his son. Right. Who he told he hadn't seen 
for five or six years, and he did not know how just how troubled he was. Right. So he's oh. thinking he's just defending the son that last time they were involved, the son was a child. Yes. And now he's problematic and causing this drama. Yes. Right. And he was. He told him, "Stay away from the gangs. Don't get yourself in trouble." Because he knew he's. I think he might have known a little bit, but he didn't know the extent of his how disturbed his son was. But he. Uh, he had, I guess, a little bit of marijuana on him, and the police tried the to son or the dad. His, his son, okay. yeah, I should make it clear. And his son was, uh, I remember I was playing Scrabble with my husband late one night. Scrabble. Scra yes, yeah. Scrabble. So pretty normal and calm. Yes, yeah. some, yes, and I remember hearing the police, some sirens go by. Well, then they came back. Well, then they went by again, and I thought, that sounds like a chase. So I kind of actually, I hate to say, but I actually thought, oh, cool, please, Chase. <laughs> I went out on the front porch. I looked. I thought, that's our van. And it was my husband's son was running from the police doing something. In your van. Yes, in our van, driving up and down the street through the gas station parking lot. <laughs> so oh my, my husband had another car. He jumped in the car and followed them. And that's when the war with the police started because they attacked my husband's son beat him up and everything for running or for, yes, for resisting is probably not running he got out of the car and put his hands up and that's just yeah that's what he says so who knows he might have he's put got him on a chase yeah he's just turn signal every time so they knew where he was going oh my god <laughs> but anyways that was when real hell began so when they were arresting him your husband was present yes was, he, so was he part of the fight uh they no they arrested his son when he got to the scene they were putting his son was sitting in the back of a police car in handcuffs and he was yelling his son was yelling to my husband that they had beat him up okay and and he had to be put in a neck brace and things like that so after your stepson was arrested in the back of this car what was the next day like my husband was decided to go on all-out war and campaign against local police department. Wow. Which was... What did that look like? Well, there were sheets. He would hang sheets up from our balcony of the apartment we lived in where there was lots of traffic. We were on a main road, and there was businesses right next door where everyone could see it. Just big white sheets, spray-painted, police abuse must stop. And I was horrified did uh, you try to talk him out of it i did from time to time and he's like i'm gonna do what i want to do and i was just intimidated i once he said i wouldn't try to argue with him i just like had he ever been physically threatening with you no not until the end i knew if i stayed even a few more months he probably would have hit me for the first time he but you feared you lived in a fear because he was intimidating and was known yes. as a fighter and yes. sometimes there's nuances you know i, I remember a, a wife telling me once one time that when her husband would get mad, he would slam covered doors, and it was the threat of violence yes. that she feared more than actually being hit, and that he never actually had to hit her. It was that intimidating presence. Yes, that that. So was, if you're afraid of that, and you've been afraid all your life, you're yes. going to grow silent in the middle of that. Right. Well, that that threat was there very often. I mean, I remember one time I tried to talk back after about 15 years of marriage. And I had spoken up because he had drank all night until the next day, and I had no sleep. I had no peace from the music that was blasted for eight or ten hours. And so I just, still a party mentality. Yes, yeah. party. And I was just a quiet person. I hated the yeah. loudness and noise. But I, I had said something to him about it, and 
it's he punched the door and said, you want to F with me? And I, I remember the hair stood up on the back of my neck and I ran out of my apartment. Because you can, you said you could pointed out the things that were abnormal and upsetting. And yes. And couldn't be held accountable. Right. And I always did it respectfully. I never raised my voice. I just spoke up. And a lot of people would freak. Yes. And I ran. I ran. I wasn't even all the way. I was basically in a t-shirt and underwear. And I ran upstairs to my stepson's apartment not not his son that came from boston but his his other son who's actually a really nice kid at the time maybe 20 and he i i pounded on his door it was about six in the morning and i said your dad's trying to kill me because i thought i was going to be killed yeah and he let me in the door and my husband came up there and his son just crossed his arms and put his body in front of his and said leave her alone you're not coming in so I ran out their other door and upstairs to our, his friends, you know, the, uh, yeah, one of his bandmates and, uh, they let me in and I called for a ride. I don't know if who came and got me, yeah. I forget. They came and got me. So how'd you return after that? I was gone for about four days and he just basically said, I'm just going to come and get you come home. And I said, okay, I was still very in love right yeah. at that time, but I should never return. But I, just, how old were you at this point? I think I was, actually, I was in my early 30s. So you'd been with him about 10 years. Did he ever acknowledge his odd lifestyle? I know one thing that we had talked about is that he stayed up all night and slept all day. He had opposite hours of most people and, you know, almost vampire type hours. He didn't work third shift. He chose to stay up all night and sleep all day and would black out the windows. Yes, yes. So all of those things. Um... How, how were you adapting to those? I don't know if in deep in my soul, if I ever really did. I just, I just made myself, I adapted to his ways. I never, for all the years that we stayed up until, if we went to bed at four o'clock in the morning, that was early and I was relieved, but we rarely went to bed until at least five thirty, six thirty in the morning. And it made me sick all the time. I just, I mean, I felt sick. I never felt, my body never felt right. My eyes were always kind of swollen. I, you know, I just, I never liked it, never got used to it. Yeah. Because so, I always fell asleep at midnight. <laughs> what? So, you know, normal questions people would ask is, well, why did you change yourself so much instead of speaking up and saying, I hate this. Why, why weren't yeah. you comfortable enough to be honest? I was too intimidated. I mean, I, I tried in the beginning. I would, I would speak up and then I realized how angry he would get. He wasn't going to change. And so I learned to kind of shut up and just go along yeah. with how he lived. So then are you secretly growing to hate somebody? I didn't at first. I would be full of despair and I think I would just pray thinking maybe something would change it the situation it would get better but it never did it got worse over the years you know I, I could tolerate it at first and but then after a while after quite a while it started getting to me affecting me very badly Be, well yeah because you were within 30 years 33 years and married 29 right and a friend for a year before even that so I was with him running for about 34 years right so that's a lot of years of compromising. And, you know, yes. codependency is about putting everyone else's feelings ahead of your own. And you kind of get lost and swallowed up. And you did to the point that you accepted behaviors that you hadn't been okay with. You weren't raised around. They were unethical yes. according to your morals and standards. Mm-hmm. You accepted those things. You accepted hours that you didn't want to keep. And that is quite the picture of 
being twisted and changed by codependency and becoming so sick with the situation because it wasn't just alcoholic behavior. It was always revenge situations and feuding. And I know that there had been times that he would be in a grocery store and start shouting at a store clerk, even a teenager over the price of bread because it had cost five cents when he was 18 years old and these you know a kid would look bewildered yes and it was everywhere he would go he was so belligerent with people and I remember you had said how he wouldn't go to the movie theater he didn't want to go to movies or to restaurants and would wear his sunglasses in places like that if he went to a restaurant it always had to be different and demanding and such high maintenance I mean where was your pleasure and safe place in the midst of that where was your identity I, I, I don't think I had an identity. I was just always known as Mrs., you know, yeah. and so-and-so's wife. And I yeah. didn't even know who I was. I just kind of blended in to the wall, I guess. I just adapted to everything. Did you think that it, was a normal marriage? I did at first until you knew better. You, somebody <laughs> told me, yeah. you're controlled. And I thought, no, I'm not. I was offended. And I thought, wait a minute. Yes, I am controlled. I am controlled. And it just, I I remember being 32 years old and I had to work up the courage in a Kroger store to uh, ask for a bag of potato chips, even though I was very slim, very thin and athletic and healthy. I wanted a bag of potato chips, but I was afraid to ask, ask him. And it's like, I don't know if it's God or whoever. It's almost like a voice. My, maybe my own thoughts said, well, you're 32 years old. You don't have to ask for bag potato yeah. chips. You're 32 years old. And I thought, yes, I am. So that's when I started slowly thinking, well, wait, if I want a bag of chips or an iced tea or an iced coffee, which he would freak out of if I ever drank an iced coffee or had a bagel. And that was outside of his rules for you. Yes, the rules. I didn't it realize. It for you. Yes, yeah. he did. And I didn't. It took so long for me to put that together. Because you just thought he was right? No, I just, I just thought, that's my husband. I, I need to obey him. Okay. Because that's what you do. That's what you're supposed you to do. You think I guess. that's what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, yeah, I know. <laughs> right. So, okay, so if you're waking up and realizing and, and opening your eyes at 32 after 13, 14 years, what then does that look like? What? Did, how did life begin to change as you were waking up and starting to resist the misery? Uh, it was not real good at first because yeah. he, he rose up, and that's when he started seeming to, like – resent me and always hate me because he never acted like that he would he had never he had known the you that was compliant yes and quiet always. and submissive and serving him he didn't know he, he probably thought you were losing your mind or changing when really the real you was surfacing yes. and starting to develop an identity and a yes. voice yes because i was told that well when you married me you gave up your um what's the word i'm looking for yours basically told me i gave up my identity or whatever, that I was supposed to become like him. And I thought, did you really just say that? I said, that's not true. Why did he think that? Where did he get his concepts from? I don't, I have no clue. I think I started seeing a little bit of mental illness come out of him right. in the last 10, 12 it years. Certainly later was discovered it had run in his family pretty deep. Yes. And you would come from dysfunction and chaos. So it was yes. like two worlds collided. I thought he was a stable one in his family. Right. I mean, might have been more so than they were. I think because he owned a business. Yes, and yeah, that's successful. what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it was, and he and he worked hard and things like that. But yeah, that when I start standing up and saying, "Well, you know what? Uh, I like church. I'm going to go to church." 
he didn't like it because I was going an hour away, but I went to this church and I met some great people who really lifted me up and I started becoming confident and slowly becoming the person I was meant to be and not who my husband meant me to be because everyone's every individual is unique in their own way. You know, no one's safe. No two people are supposed to be alike. And that's what I realized he was trying to get me to think like him. Just think, if you think like me, if it, it, just think of all the things we would get done. Just think how powerful it would be if you were like me and thought like me and just, and just everything in me started rejecting it. Almost like anything he said to me, I'd almost throw it back up. You know, I mean, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So something in me thought, no, I can't, I can't. I'm becoming sick. I'm becoming sick with depression and despair. And, and oh my gosh, and I, I couldn't do it anymore. It was, it was killing me inside. I, was, yeah. I, I felt like a flower that had no sunshine or water. Yeah. I was kind of bent over and stooped and wilting. So, yeah, and you had had decades in uh, odd business, odd people in your lives, around drinking, around odd hours, which would make you crazy if you think about what yes. being tired does. It makes you emotional and, and yes. you know, confused and. You yes. had all of these things for years and years, and then the feuds. He would have feuds with neighbors and gangs and students. And yes. um, I remember that he had had students quit, and he would take it personal and wait a couple of years, and then go, vandalize their home. And go throw a brick through their big plate glass window on a twenty degree weather night. He right. would wait six months or a year till their guard was down, even if they owed him twenty dollars. Yeah, just as like a like a statement, like yeah, it's I just would. the principle of it. So you're at home knowing, I come, I'm this innocent girl married into this, and this is cr insane behavior, alcohol behavior, criminal behavior. He's abusive. Uh, yes. Right. So when you start waking up to that, how long did it take until you started? deciding what you would do with your life to get away or to make yourself, I mean, did you just resign yourself? This is it until death or I've got to have a plan eventually. No, I thought this is it. I wish I started getting to where I hoped we'd been together probably 20 years. And I, I thought the only way out is if I die or he dies. And that's all I thought. But then I was watching an episode probably in 2011, 2012, I kept knowing I was abused somehow, but I thought he doesn't call me names. He doesn't scream at me, hit me, cheat on me, break your legs. Yes. He doesn't do anything like that. And I thought, how, how do I tell people I'm abused? I did not know. But an episode of Dr. Phil was on one day and he was talking about that. This woman was going through basically what I was going through, but she had children. So it was probably much worse, but it was, a, he was critical. And, it, and, and Dr. Phil said, you don't want your wife to look out the window, see her husband pulling up and, and say, oh, no, he's here. Yeah. I thought that's exactly what I feel. I couldn't wait till he left the house. He used to give me terrible silent treatments for days, and I never knew what it was, oh. and I would be so distraught. I would cry till my eyes were swollen. I would call my mother and say, what have I done? What I don't understand. He won't talk to me so cold, and I ask him, what's wrong? Nothing. And... I would find out maybe it was because I had a sexy outfit on. And then later in the day, I felt like, oh, I'm just going to go take a shower, put some sweatpants on and a t nice T-shirt on. You know? So you'd get the silent treatment yes, for days. That. Yes. Or so you're I, almost property. Yes, exactly. So, so after, silent treatment. That is a I mean, it's, it's funny how I sat in on a workshop once that a therapist taught and asked people to define abuse. And yes. one, per, one girl had defined if my legs are broken or if I have a black eye. And she said it can't be a nasty look. 
or an insult or criticism to the point where you'd second guess yourself. Yes. I mean, we have to know what abuse is and mm-hmm. silent treatment to control your atmosphere is an abusive tactic. Yeah, that made me want to die. It, it hurts so bad. But then I saw Dr. Phil and it's probably starting around 2010, 2011. I just couldn't take it anymore. I was starting, I started losing my love for him and respect. Yeah. And I thought, I never even thought that I could just leave. I just came from a, a line of women back, you know, from a, other older people in our family that, well, if you're married, you honor God and you honor your husband and love keeps no record of wrongs. You just keep forgiving. And, and you just stay miserable yeah. and complain to your friends and, and stay not, in it. Yeah. And you don't have to. That's right. No, I don't care if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian or you're atheist or whoever, you don't have to stay no matter what. Right. If I believe in God. He, God doesn't think you have to stay. If you don't believe in God, you still don't have to stay. Right, you don't right. have to. I mean, I think people deserve a chance, but not when they're still doing the same thing 15, 20 years later, even five years later. But um, I just decided, I, I didn't even know I could leave, but then one, I kept, it's like I could smell freedom. I kept hearing the word freedom in my eyes. I thought, what what would it be like if I was free and I never had to walk on eggshells and I never had to have anybody be critical of me no matter I or tell do, you how to think like yes, them how to think how to think how to dress yes. how to eat yeah how yeah. to what if you can't have Starbucks yeah and my my hair was to my butt and he would get mad if I cut off more than one inch so I finally one day cut had eight or nine inches cut off and Did you get the silent thing. treatment no he just <laughs> Thought it looked nice. I said it'll grow back. So then I had control. First time in my life, I had control of my own hair. Yeah. I wow. said I'm a woman. I women express yourself through their hair, and like, you know, I can't do anything with hairs just hanging down to my waist, you know. But I started doing little things like saying I'm going to church. He didn't like that I drove an hour to get to church. Well, that's another thing. You didn't get yes. your license until later. Because- so I was 39 years old. <laughs> and then you started driving places and getting that freedom. Yes, I just, the first time I was going to drive, he It's got almost me. like a kidnapping victim. Yes. It comes back into the world. I, would, I mean, yes. it's hard to believe this was, some of these years were in the 90s and the 2000s that this still even... A life can yes. be like this in today's day and age, but this is, yes. I mean, codependency is common and mm-hmm. to this extreme is more common than people yeah. would believe probably. Some people you're just, your mind doesn't, I can't even believe my mind didn't compare to where my mind is now. I can't believe that even just two years ago, my mind thought the way it did. And I was, right. I, I have a good therapist yeah. and counselor to help me deal with what I've been Good through. support around you yes, and friends. Great. And, yes. and I was diagnosed with PTSD because of the trauma, all the things we went through. Which is another thing. That's not, I don't believe, um, yeah. just P- PTSD is, is typical for an event, a one-time event, like yeah. a, a murder, a car accident. Complex. Complex, yes. yes PTSD is. is when it's chronic stress yes. over a long period yes, of time. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. And, and I was diagnosed with Stockholm Syndrome, which I've never heard oh, of in yeah. my life. Now describe what that is. That is when... You, I guess you were, it's kind of like a kidnap victim. If someone who's brainwashing, you kind of relate to. You feel sorry for them. Yes, you feel sorry for them. And you start, uh, I don't know. It's like trauma bonding. Yeah, you bond with them. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, you just bond with them. I think it's just another way. But your heart started kind of shifting out. My heart shifted and he started losing control in that he would give me silent treatment. And instead of being full of despair, I thought, oh, good. Mother effort. Mother effort. Okay, I won't say the word out loud. I said, "Go ahead." And I walk in the kitchen and laugh. Silent treatment. Yes. God, he's gonna ignore me, right? Where it's like the tables turned. Yeah. And then he just. Then he 
would do all kinds of mental things to me. I mean, just, like what? Like, uh, he would mistreat me for days and days. Sometimes we silent treat myself. Then would, uh, be nice to me. Yeah. Then, or try to, you know, be intimate with me. And, right. and when I w- said, wait, you treated me like this and now I got to turn my emotions around right. so fast. I'm not, then he would say, you can just go out up to the other room and drag, drug, uh, a bed, a mattress, and just threw it on the floor in there and said, there, you must well sleep in there. And I said, so I didn't realize even, I mean, part of that, I didn't even realize that that was control also trying to Yeah, you were just, control. I don't think you could have, you were so mistreated. Yes, very mistreated. I don't think anyone knew. And, I and does he seem like he knows that he was mistreating you, or does he just think he that he was right? He, he had, no, he almost all the time acts like he's right, and I'm sick in the head, but... Because that's the, that is one dynamic of, of abuse is that they will deny it and convince you that you are crazy. Yes, that's what it was. And then you think you're crazy. Yes, and I then I also was looking up something to uh, find out how to put these decorative lights in my room, and something about forty signs you with a narcissist came up, and I didn't even know what a narcissist was. And he had thirty nine out of forty signs. <laughs> Just he didn't hit me. When I was the fortieth sign. He didn't hit me yet or anything. Right. But, but yeah, so I don't know. But yeah, when he. He did that. He started giving me silent treatment. Then I started feeling relieved because yeah. I no longer loved him. And I started thinking, it's like a thought came in my head. I was looking up at the sky one night. It must have been 15, 20 degrees out. He'd been horrible all day. You mean bad mood or what? Yes, bad mood. It's when he would get stuff off the streets and like Christmas trees and have us put together. The ones that you put piece by piece. It's oh, cold yeah. out. You're scratching your hands. I had a bad back then. And just he it, would have little strange projects yes, for you to do four or five hours, six hours. Oh my goodness. If I went in to use the bathroom. I mean, it's like a torture. Yes. Like, chamber. <laughs> yeah. If I went in to use the bathroom for maybe disappear for two minutes after being out in the freezing cold for an hour or two, where are you? Abigail, where are you? Get, I'm like, you see the bathroom. Can you just give me a minute or two? You know, so that night it had been on for hours. His own brother was helping us and left after an hour. Yeah. Because he couldn't take it. So I was looking at the sky. And just, just toxic. Yeah, I was just crying, thinking, God, I hate help you. me. Somebody <laughs> help me. I, I'm miserable. Yeah. And this thought my head says, you don't have to stay. You can leave. Wow. You can leave. And I thought. A light comes on. Yes, a light came on. That was probably 2012, 13 maybe. And I just thought, I can leave. I don't have to stay. Yeah. I don't have to stay. So I started planning for about a year or so. I could feel freedom. And I started packing things over a year's time, important things. And when I go to my mother's house, I take a couple bags, a couple boxes and keep storing it. Did she know you were doing that? Yeah. I told her I was going to do that. Everybody knows miserable. So I did that and I'd leave enough stuff in the drawers to make it look like I still had stuff in the drawers. So that's, I started plotting that. And then he started becoming worse and worse, not wanting me to leave the house. I mean, this is just sick. Yeah. My mother lived four or two minutes down the road from me and I seen her maybe I got to see her one maybe an hour out of four months and I said this is not normal I said said, can you please give me a day or two I want two or three days a week where I can just go visit her she's alone she's always saying do you just want to come over have some tea or something I said it's going to haunt me if she dies right and she begged me I'm no there's, I said, it doesn't matter what he day or said time. no. Yeah, I said, well, just pick a day or time. What's convenient for you? I don't care if it's morning, noon, night. I need two or three days a week for a couple hours each time. There is no good time. I oh. said, I said oh, never. My. And he said, never. And I, and I remember I was real calm and respectful. I just said, 
oh my gosh, that's not, that's not normal. It's abnormal. And he jumped up and oh my gosh. started cursing. I can't remember what he said, F word and stuff. And he took the remote control and fired as hard as he could at the kitchen, towards the kitchen. But because it, you were telling the truth. Yes. I said, I just want to see my mother a couple times a week for an hour. I mean, that's like extreme. Yes. And so he, his, the remote control hit the wall before it got in the kitchen and exploded in a battery shot back and hit me uh, on my eyelash and all, could have took my eye out or at least scratched wow. my eye or something. So what'd you say? Nothing. I was quiet. I didn't tell him until the next day, you know, you almost took my eyeball. No, I didn't know that. Was so there said, any, was, did he, was he an apologizer? Did he ever acknowledge his behavior no. or his part in things or apologize or? No, I told him, I said, do you know you're abusing me? That's, he goes, yeah. No. He goes, I'm abusing myself. He said, What's that mean? I don't know because he said he screamed at you. I said, but you're, I said, but you're the one doing it. It's abusive. You had no value. No, I had no value yeah. and stuff. I mean, but, and here's the thing: yeah. you didn't value yourself no. until years out of that. And and I think your misery forced decisions. Yes, but but when some you're with somebody and you stay with them and you're fighting for your value, yes, it's because you don't internally value yourself. Right. Because when you have a strong, healthy value of yourself, you don't let people chip away at it. But right. when when you're you know when little girls are raised to submit to somebody devaluing them, it's yeah. normal. And that yeah. led you into decades of it. Right. Or when you're a little girl and you speak your mind, even if it's respectful and you get smacked in the face or hit with a belt, you learn to shut up and you don't speak up for right. yourself. And that's what happened to me because my dad was an alcoholic. Right. Until I who, who got sober later. Yeah, he right. did. And he was fine. Everything I... He was abusive early on. Yes. But those, th that was set in stone mm -hmm. in your early years as yeah. normal behavior. And those yeah. things repeat. Men, men are the head of the household. That's what I believe. You don't speak up or, or you're in trouble you do and you, you will feel pain if you yeah. speak up. But he did on a few occasions when I, I rarely cried, rarely. I would go, it was almost like I became stuck up and cold, but I wasn't. I was intimidated. I would freeze and I would just respectfully listen and I wouldn't talk. And they're like, why aren't you saying anything? Well, because I don't know what to say. And I would be real intimidated. So, but the few occasions where I would burst into tears and, and stuff. And I remember he told me just a handful of years ago, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like, you haven't done a thing. I'm the one with the problem and I yeah. probably need counseling. Yeah. I said, well, we can go together. And then that just started a vicious cycle because he had never really raised his voice. And then that, another thing is yeah. one reason people will stay with an abuser or a narcissist sometimes well beyond those years is because of those moments where there's right. hope for change or hope for sorry. Yes. So I you did, got I, a little bit of hope dangle. Yeah, I did. And I started becoming physically ill. I started getting asthma worse, asthma attacks. Yeah, I started that stress getting comes out through your body. Yes, and it came out through my body. And I remember we'd go through the cycles and he would, it, that started like in 2012. He never screamed or yelled at me until I started standing up for myself, which I did respectfully all the time. But he would- Because uh, you were still careful, even though- Right, very careful. You were right. Right, I was, I was right. And, and you had to like plot out formulas of ways to present to him your basic rights. Right. And like, then he would yes. fight. Yes. I would have to take the courage for two, three days a week and say, I've got a friend coming in from a, a 45 minutes away and we're, we're just going to go tomorrow and, and go to Wendy's and Tim Hortons and go to the thrift store and come back and hang at the house. And I would shopping. Be so, yeah. Yes. I'll be so afraid. I'd never be more than five minutes away from the house. Everything was done. The house was clean. Meals made. I'd have to prepare things for days. And I did that for wow. years. And were the people around you, were they aware or were they talk, speaking against it to you or they just, just a couple girlfriends, but no one else did. I think everybody knew because everyone else would 
a lot of times say our friends would say what he wanted to hear because they knew he was troubled and just very abnormal. But I just got to a point where I thought, I can't live anymore. I'm going to die yeah. in here. Up there. Right or wrong. Yeah. Whether I'm supposed to stay or not, I mm-hmm. can't do it. Right. Yeah. Right. You get to that point. So yeah. then you eventually did leave. Yes. I left in 2015 for six weeks. I waited till he went to uh, teach his classes. And I called a friend and my mother and I said, get over here. I have maybe an hour, hour and a half to get out of here. And we packed up everything. I was so distraught. I'd been in the hospital three times with bronchitis, asthma, and allergies. I was so stressed out that I was getting sick all the time. So I left and he wasn't happy about it. And he was rude and he never stopped trying to get me back. And then he said he had an experience and he just seems so like an cheap. eye-opening. Yes, and I wasn't aware enough to know. And you're just coming out of it. It's a process. Yes. You know, people expect somebody to, you know, it's, it's, it's that old frog in the frying pan mm-hmm. situation where you put a frog in water and let it heat up right. slowly and it'll die. But if you drop it in, it gets out. You know, it's, it's yes. slowly you're, you're trapped and drowning yes. and swallowed. And it takes time to come out of it, too. You don't come out yeah. of it and just from the day you realize, oh, my goodness, I can have a different life. It's not necessarily the next day that you do. It's right. a process to recover yeah. and, and heal your yeah. mind and heal your life. Yeah, and I felt sorry for him because he was getting old. And, and, I, and you know, I just, I loved him and I was willing to give him chance after chance. But I, I stayed a lot because of that. But when I went back after six weeks, something in my gut said, I, this is a mistake. I should never yeah. go back because I felt so free when I left. I never thought about him for six weeks. I didn't miss him for even five seconds because I was done. I was just done inside. I'd been done inside the last probably four or five years we lived together. So I went back and it wasn't, but a few months, three, four months later, I had sold something at our yard sale that he wanted 40 or 25 or $30 for us or for $20. And I remember he clenched his fist and you, and I just looked at him in shock. He was going to call me the F word or something. And I said, was you going to call me an effort? Oh no! And I said, "But you were clenching your fists and shaking your head for." And he had denied it, but I knew all the emotions. And there, so I yeah. started guarding my heart and kind of distancing myself from him. And he felt it. And I started going to church, whether he liked it or and not. And anything that was kind of a threat to him or his ways yeah. would cause him to freak. Yeah, yeah. So then he started saying, "That's deeply wounded, deeply me. disturbed yes. personality." He started saying F you to me, which he had never done. And to this day, I've never called him one name because I won't. But he started saying that to me when he never cussed me out or called me a name. He started saying that the last two years I was there. I remember I had to drive to church an hour away and I cried all the way there because I was so shocked and hurt that he would say something like that, you know. Because you're still kind of, in a way, you're still kind of that 18-year-old innocent girl, you know, you'd never really grown up. You had just gone right into that situation and with your innocence. Yeah, and I thought, but I'm so kind to him. I've been loyal, faithful. I've been accused. Present in the midst of craziness and odd hours and embarrassment. Always there for him. Trauma. Yeah, when everyone else walked away, even his children and family, I never left his side. But yet I was deemed the most uh, disloyal, you know, he... I mean, he just treated me like I was I was his enemy. Yeah. And I would tell him all the time, I'm not your enemy. I care about you. I never yeah. do anything. He just so. couldn't believe it for some reason. Yeah. Because he's at war internally. Yes. Yes. And I, I just thought I got to a point where I thought, you know what? Screw you. You've lived a life you wanted. I I still am useful. Yeah, you didn't get to live age. a life you wanted. No. You didn't have kids because you right. married this man that, that had 
or it had a vasectomy. So you, yes. you surrendered your dream of having kids yeah. and you exactly. surrendered 30 years to his lifestyle. Yes. And I thought I'm going to be, I just want to be alone. I, I, I'm an artist. I like to write. I like to read. I like quiet and peace. So I moved in and was my, he made me leave because I just distanced myself so much. I wouldn't come back and share the same bedroom again. Right. Because his the cycle of it was so much. Sick. I thought, you I just can't, get sick. I can't. I had to have my friends pray me out of bed. And I thought, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. So one day when he just said, well, pray me out of bed. Leave, all leave. That's like, when yes. it's, it's like you get, you get to a point where I can't keep getting lifted up. I've yeah. got to just, I can't have despair and crashing and then the yes. dread of it and lifted. I mean, it's just a sick, sick cycle. Yeah. So then I thought I didn't, no longer cared what happened to him. But he, uh, he, told me one day we got in a bad argument, you either leave or I'm leaving. And I knew that's my way out. Yeah. So I told him, I can't afford the house. I was like, my house, I said, I work here. I what you said, I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, then, sooner the better. And two days later, I was gone. And I think he thought I'd come back. I let him come back around a couple more times. And I just knew every time what I didn't, my heart wasn't there. So I finally, in August of 2017, said, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to fix this relationship. I don't hate you. Let's end it peacefully. I don't want nothing to do with you anymore or a relationship. And that's the last time I ever spoke to him was over a year ago. And he um, has not gone without a fight. <laughs> you've He's gone still fighting. Yeah, yeah, you've gone through your divorce. And as we know, it sometimes yes. happens that there's triangulation and um, there's backlash and, and spewing yes. and venom and rumors and all of that. And right. one thing that I know you set as your own rule and strategy from the beginning was that you were going to be silent and not yes. respond and not explain yourself and right. not fight back that way. And I know that that's gone on for quite a while. So yes. that's been a part of leaving. That's part of leaving yes. somebody who's so controlling. They can't be held accountable or dealt with. Right. They can't, they can't be told. Never had to face consequences right. in his life. And now he is, and he does not like it. Right. And I just, I don't care. I don't yeah. care what he says about me. My friends know who I am and those right. who don't know me. Who cares? Yeah, I just put, I just posted something that said, let whoever think whatever. Right. That's right. That's right. right. But I, yeah, I just thought, I don't care. I'm happy. I'm healing. I've come a long way. Um, starting life all over again in my 50s, and I'm excited about it. That doesn't, that doesn't deter me in any way. I can say right. I'm an artist and I'm, I'm actually making money up. with my art. Some people never get out. You got a second right. chance of life and you mm-hmm. got to wake up. What would you say to somebody who, you know, I, I know there's plenty you could say to someone walking into a situation like that, but I don't know that you can warn anyone enough that to, to, to you know, to sway them out of it. What would you say to somebody in the very middle of it, the very thick of it? Well, you have to, you can't just, I would say get out of it. If it's been going on for a long time, get out of it. But you have to get Because I, it doesn't get better. No, it doesn't. No matter what they promise. Because I thought if I was good to him and I was the best wife ever, he would change. It would make everything it better. It makes it worse or stays the same. Yeah. So you got to ask yourself, do you want to stay in this misery forever? Because it will destroy you. But I would say what I did was I first for a year or two, I got a good support of friends. Yeah. A handful of friends that lifted me up and even lifted him up, opened the door right. for him to come in and get prayer or just talk and get some counseling. Support. And, yeah, support and everything. And um, he didn't want anything to do with it. He hated them because I, I loved him. Yeah. You know, so. Anything that gave you joy. Right. He hated. And I made a plan. I knew you don't just, you don't get arguments out leaving you. You just make a plan. You slowly get your things out. Don't give any 
heads up about it, especially yeah, if someone's because, unstable. Right. They'll they're, kill you. Right. Or, they'll, or you're going to pay for it somehow. Right. Yeah. So you just have to be quiet. You don't let them know. And have then a plan. Have a plan. And get. I had a plan. Thank God. I have a, uh, my mother and my brother let me move in there. It's a basement, but it's like an apartment. It's finished. And, yeah. it's, yes, it's finished. It's like a beautiful little apartment. It's quiet. It's so quiet there. It's and, and no, you're on normal sleeping schedule. Yes, I get up early and I go to bed <laughs> at when it's late. Sometimes I still get up early and right. I'm doing this certain type of artwork that my yeah. dad taught me to do, and and I'm making money now. Yeah, and I'm. I will do everything. And you myself. go to Starbucks when you want? Yes. Yeah. I drink Starbucks every day, so that's not good. Yeah, I got quite, put on quite a few pounds, but I might hey, be that's chunky. That's the price of, happy. That's the price of freedom. I'd rather be fat and happy than, <laughs> than skinny and miserable. <laughs> but I mean, I'm not, I'm happy with everything and um, I can only go up from here. I mean, and that's a long time too. That's a long, you know, not everybody goes through yeah. Most marriages don't last quite that long, no. let alone somebody in kind of a trapped one for that long. So there's hope for anyone yes. to come out of it and to find a new life with their a new job yes. and, you know, a yeah. job that you're doing what you want on your own yeah. hours and you're thriving. It's not going to be easy at first. It wasn't. I fell apart. I thought it would be great once I left. Yay, freedom. And I fell apart for four months in such depression, crying, didn't think I could even raise up out of bed. Did you again. think I should just go back? No, never. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was so happy. I haven't missed yeah. him for no, not one or second. Or just even the life. Yeah, yeah. Miss no. the life. I can't do it. I just wanna I wanna live normally. I don't want to be told what to do. I'm not a child. I've never been. I make my own decisions, and now I am. And you don't have to feud with anybody right. or have embarrassment of arguing with cashiers. And yes, you know you can go to the restaurants. I remember that he didn't want you to have a bank account. He didn't believe in having going walking into a bank because it was somehow somebody tricking him. Yes. And you have all of this freedom now. Yes, and I do have a bank account now. Yeah, it's kind of small, so but this it's is growing. a great story of triumph yes. for somebody that's was made to live a life that was so small and almost yes. hidden in the dark for so many years. And you have definitely burst forth and yeah. life is light now. And I'm in my fifties too. So, and I still have so much life ahead of me. Yeah. And, and lots of excitement. I'm, I'm very, it happy. makes you grateful for every day as it is. You're like, I have today, I have tomorrow, I have whatever I want to do this yes. weekend. There's so yeah. much joy to getting your right. freedom back. I don't let anyone tell me what to do right. at all. I, I I'm making my own decisions for once and going to make it something good out of my life. Yeah. So keep on going. I love this yes. story and I hope our listeners have as well. You can email me at annieunhooked at gmail.com. If you have questions for Abigail or would like to be put in touch with her, um, there's a Facebook page for my writing as well. I'll post notes on there when this airs and thanks so much for coming in. Don't sacrifice your freedom to anyone. And until next time, see you later. Thanks so much. Yes, that was great. You have been listening to Addiction Nonfiction. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests belong solely to the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the host or any affiliated organization or institution. You may contact host Annie at annieunhooked at gmail.com. We hope you'll keep coming back to listen to Addiction Nonfiction.